Right, this is going to be the next episode, technically the second of 2024, of the Best Damn League show. Obviously, let's get out of the way really quickly. That isn't over there. Someone who played on Dignitas in season two and had Dyrus leak the strats for Worlds, therefore definitely ruining the chance that they had to make a really deep playoff run that was really certainly going to happen with, you know, Skyrim and Cutie Pie. You know, totally, no, totally, yeah, it's just all just Dyrus. But in the end, turns out Dyrus never got paid by TSM, allegedly. So maybe it all works out. I don't know. But anyway, the point is, yeah, obviously Dom isn't here yet. That's the key thing, guys. He will actually appear on an episode. Like, I guess we're going to sort of do this like WWE. He is gone. But if you know how wrestling works, basically when you need a pop, you just bring that guy back for the big event, don't you? So what will happen is you'll think I'm just doing all these analysts, you know, smaller people coming up, coaches. And then all of a sudden it'll be like, wait, is that, is that Dom's music? Although in this case, I guess Dom's music, reference pull here, would be some sort of like drum and bass track at the end of the video, whatever that, what he does from Illenium or something, I think, right? Like, let it go. Just some, some vocal liquid drum and bass with some vocalists, some female vocalist over the top. I don't know why that's his jam, but fair enough. Never heard him listen to that music. Apparently he listens to some music from someone called like Big Crip or something. They actually, unironically, oh, did something insight at the end. One of the viewer questions was like, what's your favourite artist all time? And Dom's for real. I'd have to go look it up. I'm not joking. I think the name was like Big Crip or something. Like, what the fuck? All right. So fair enough. All you need to know is it's not Dom and that's enough about Dom because obviously it's Jensen Gore who won, people might know, has actually, this is just a random side detail, actually I've always supported my Patreon, which is quite cool, even though in a way, that almost does make me feel bad, Jensen, because I've actually look, I wouldn't say I've had like, I'm not ninja I haven't like raked in like tens of millions of dollars or anything, mate. but I've had an alright career and obviously mainly I run that so, so that like, I've always told my patrons, I mainly run that so that like, I don't have to worry that like I'm, I'm on the streets tomorrow if like I have an argument with a TO, for example, and I can't work the event or then my site sees a tweet and cancels my writing contract. My point was it was to always have like a backup, so I've always appreciated it, but yeah, that's if people don't know, obviously I've supported his content and tried to promote it where I can. And it's a mutual admiration of society, as they say. So if people don't know, Jensen has previously worked a number of times as mainly as assistant coach in the bigger teams. He's worked in teams like Splice with Peter Dunn and some teams obviously over in his part of the world. He's from Southeast Asia. Is it actually technically called Southeast Asia where you're from? Is that what you guys yeah, call I'm it yourselves? Singapore. Singapore yeah, fair play. And if people don't know, up until recently, he was still coaching. He also actually wrote a guide, by the way. He actually wrote a guide to his philosophy on how League of Legends works, which if people don't know, he has quite a unique take. He's sort of got it. He's sort of an LS in his own way. Obviously, not in all the bad ways, just in some of the good ways, just theorizing about the game. He doesn't actually have mad drama all the time or get pro players trying to get him. So the, that is all to say. At the moment, he actually isn't working in esports. Although, if the right team's out there, and you want to save your season. All I'm saying is you've got these three mini splits now, guys. And I've seen what it was like last year. It's a bloodbath after that spring split. So if after the spring split, you need sort of the fixer to come in and make the team work all of a sudden and figure out which play, lane to play through, who's just getting a put on weak side duty. Jensen is available. Hit him up on Twitter. He he may indeed answer answer the DM, right? You might, you might do a comeback if it was the right team. I'll say it's a little bit topical when it comes to, to this because I think that that's an interesting discussion to have as yeah. well as to what is the coach that you're bringing to the team and is, is this the right coach for the right project, right? And we can see that for some of the teams in the LEC, we'll probably talk about it a little bit later um, to see if that this is the right setup. Is this team setting up the coach for success accordingly as well? Yeah. I don't want to be like going out there and it's like, I'm coming for a job for sure. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy to throw my name out there. Um, I've definitely done quite a fair bit of work uh, with regards to conceptual the game and it's really cool to 
always come back. I thought it's a new season, new map and everything. And to see that some of these uh, concepts still definitely do apply within the card game. Yeah, if people don't know, what I will just quickly say is, I actually do think, I agree, that's actually a decent abstract lens we could even discuss. I said this, a similar thing to Monty on some of the insight, which is like, because one of the things I try to do every year is figure out, like, is there some, like, wrinkle or nuance that I haven't added to what my, like, analytical lens for, like, a team is? So one of the reasons why, in, in for example, when an off-season happens and you've never seen the team play yet, it's all just theory crafting, isn't it? And so I think, actually, the more sort of angles you can consider, the closer you you can come. So I've often told people on my shows, one thing from a long time ago I didn't used to consider very much was the whole, because like, I myself wasn't as developed socially, was things like social components and what's the balance of personalities. You know, I really was the guy, it's why I was friends were forgiven, where it was sort of like, look, if you're all really good, can't you all just shut up and play the game? But it's like, obviously, spoiler, like that sentence is absurdly reductive and shows you don't actually understand that basically is coaching, is all the stuff, that getting people to mediate and have conversations and be able to get through hard times and actually not shut up and play believe it or not so similarly I was saying to Monty I actually think one area in this offseason maybe when we get some of the teams there'll be some examples I actually think one thing even teams are making a mistake on now that I've made the mistake on in the past with people I'll give an example like South made who I did think were very talented is I think people put the wrong jungler with the team sometimes mate you sometimes look stylistically and they will do it where they'll put like you know sort of like supportive low resource mid laner supportive low resource jungler and you're like how is this team going to win in the LEC like the mid jungle region so similarly I agree with you actually let's open on this and then we'll make it an abstract into some of the specifics I agree actually one of the things I was trying to do in the off season it's why actually at the moment I've got a bit of egg on my face Jensen where I had predicted Vitality and King Carmine Corp would be really good top top teams and so far I'm looking quite silly at least in terms of the results it's because I was also trying to do what you're referring to I was also trying to think don't just take these five players as Essentially, think of the coach as like something that attenuates one way or another. He might make them worse. He might make them not be anything, or he might actually be the, what brings it together. So obviously, if people know in the different ways, I'm a fan of Yamato Cannon and Mark. I actually think they're both baggers. I think they have like very interesting, quite distinct strengths. And I was thinking at the time, maybe these work with their teams. So I'm sure we can get into like the specifics. But what do you think on this, Jensen? I think it is probably an underrated angle because if you think of how fans talk about coaches, they almost make it sound like coach coaches just to do the draft or are somehow responsible for player performance, if you know what I mean. Like they don't really talk about things like stylistic aspects, how what your philosophy of the game is. I mean, as a quick aside, if anyone saw any of my recent interviews with Trimby, for example, you'll get a very strong sense of how Freddy 122 wants to draft. Apparently you always drafted like winning lanes. Like you start out early, you make it easy for the jungler, you scale like these if you know these concepts, well now if I'm judging rogue, I'm gonna think differently if I see them get a team where there's like someone who can't play lanes out, for example, or is weak side it's going to change how I think of it. so what were you thinking of when you when you open that kind of worms then Jensen what are the angles of how we should consider the coaching component right let's let's just start with case and vitality right because yeah, I think that those are the two big topics everybody had them ranked in the top five and, yes um despite them both going on three I would still have them somewhere around there right um I'm a little bit more shaky with regards to Casey but I think with regards to vitality this is the usual rope of that Mac does every single season right you you have seen those Matt Lions teams that Mac takes and then um at the start of the season they do terribly everybody writes them off and then all of a sudden when things matters the most in summer they have this big research and then all of a sudden they're, they're winning and they're making it to Worlds, right? I think they made it to Worlds uh, every year. Oh, he's gone every single year. three or four years. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's always the case where, and then if you were to look at the spring, spring split, we always have this in, um, 
we always have this sense of amnesia where we always forget that this is this is a coach who likes to approach things probably in a much more topical manner, in a much more structured approach, where from having worked with him in the past, he's somebody who has this very large library of thoughts where he would then use this to, uh, to then reference with players, to then collaborate with them to say that, okay, what's the exact style that we want to play? And I do think that in his... Oh, he actually pulls like historically well. from VODs as well, not just like recent yeah. stuff. He'll actually go for like, here's like a, an older team, for example, maybe. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Max oh, okay. team does very poorly in winter or spring, right? And the zero three start, even if they don't make make playoffs, I wouldn't be very uh, particularly concerned with regards to vitality so far. I mean, I have my concerns with regards to some of the players, but this is definitely something where this is the Mac approach, right? He yeah, approaches yeah. things publicly, and it, I think it shows in the game as well. They're trying to get the macro movements right, and they're trying to integrate three players who are not familiar with the system into two players who are more familiar, in this case, Karzi and Telesang, and I think that that shows in some of the disconnect, but they're stepping up to some waves where they should be contesting together as a squad of three, as a squad of four, and some people are not in the right positions. And it's <coughs> quite clear that when it comes to certain topics such as what do we do when we have control of the dragon bit, right? Something that you need to drill and focus on as a team. And probably that starts off as some other team's uh, starting point, right? Because if we think about how do we win a League of Legends, it's really about, uh, in, in this modern era, um, if you watch JDG and some of these teams, uh, you would just say it's about winning the fight uh, around the dragon bit, right? So maybe that was some team's starting point, and then that's paying off more against Vitality, whereas Vitality probably started with, we're going to approach this from a map control approach. How do we, uh, when do we aggressively push lanes? When do we aggressively put numbers into lanes? And how do we use that to then uh, accordingly control the map? And if you invest your time into that, if you invest your time into learning the nuances of maybe, say, the new items, the new map, and all those sort of things as well, um, it can definitely be as someone who approaches things in a very topical manner, where it doesn't necessarily translate into wins right off the bat, as compared to some of the teams that might be focused on some of these, these other aspects, of course. I mean, none of this excuses their level of play oh, that they've so far. But I wouldn't say that those games are just blowouts, right? If you if you were to just cover the nameplates, if you were to just ignore it, and you just watch like individual games, and you just examine the losses <coughs> that each of these teams are having, I would say the vitality, they definitely, I mean, part of the pun is they, they definitely show more vitality in life in their games as compared to some of uh, the teams that have taken wins, such as Robo Giants, right? So I'm not all too low on vitality. Like I say, this is the usual Mac approach. Um, approach things in a very structured manner, and then very active periodization to make sure that when things um, start to go right, it's at the right time so that this team has already gone through all the conflict, right? Okay. And I think that this is something that any coach would take um, any at any point of time, uh, at any time of day, where you, if you were to give them an option, would you you'd rather have your crisis happen at the start of the season or your crisis happen towards the end of the season? Oh, sure. And I think most people would rather have things happen at the start so that yes. the team is then forced to gel together and solve their problems rather than go to a honeymoon period and then you never really get things going rough. And then you all, always see these teams that do well in the spring. And all of a sudden, there's a big matter change. They never really adapt to it. And things just kind of fall apart from there. And everybody's like, yeah, that's just, um, they're just meant to be checked out and just waiting for the next season, right? So that's kind of that's kind of my thoughts when it comes to okay to yeah yeah that's good I I'll, I'll say I'll I'll pick up the baton on the coaching angle I also agree like one of the main reasons actually I hyped this team was the Mac angle that he's coming in to sort of be the director presumably 
impose his philosophy onto the team. And then also, he obviously kept his bottle in from Mad Lions, Kazi and Hillersang. And even though now, this just shows you how sort of jarring it is when you come to a new patch and a new year. Like, I have that feeling, Jensen, that you have when you're in like a nightclub at the very end. And then, you know, at the end, they just turn the music on and turn the lights on really quickly because they want everyone to leave. And you get that like crazy moment where a minute ago, you know, you're in like this atmosphere, you're vibing with the music. But then the second they do that, they may as well have thrown like a bucket of water in your face. You just sort of, you feel like you're almost sober up and like, bloody hell, like, what am I doing here? I've got to go home. Like, that's what I feel like when I watch this bottle into this year. Like, I was hyping this team. Like, the joke is I've got baited again. Like, the one time I actually went in on Kazi, like, oh, I'll, I'm going to take I'll take one ticket to the Kazi Express. Always been a skeptic, really. People said this was great, but I thought it was shit. And then now it's just going off a fucking cliff. But here's the angle, right? I've got a few. So on the Mac one, that's actually also why... Believe it or not, I don't think it's the end of the world how the season's begun. For similar reasons you're pointing out. Because when I actually did my Reflections interview with Mac, he made it clear, like as in he volunteered this information, that his approach when he does, for example, like VOD review or scrims, when they're like talking about what happened in the scrim, is like he doesn't tell you sort of like, you fucked up, don't do that again. His whole thing's sort of like, why did you do that? And was there like a reason behind it? And essentially, the point I'm getting to here is, this is why he will sort of let certain players, as it were, int if he thinks it's going somewhere. Like if it's sort of like if it'll help us like figure out the style or the shot calling or the synergy ends. For... So that means if you think logically, it means actually you're going to get all your problems at the beginning. Like actually, it should start out pretty rough. Like the point is, the guy who's kind of a drill sergeant, the problem he has is in the very short term, he might get what he wants. You might stop doing that, but you might not grow and you might not progress onwards. So funnily enough, I actually do think this is one area where if you're going to sign Mac and you're going to sign, by the way, players like Hillersang, You've, I think you have to give the project time. You can't expect on week one you're gonna have it all nailed down and you're gonna play some super clean game of League of Legends. That that was never on the table. With that said, obviously, look, you can't lose three games, especially not in this format. That's the killer part. Obviously, you're gonna have to very quickly fix this and turn it around if you want Winter Split to be good. And then in terms of the players, believe it or not, the player strength is one of the reasons I actually thought this team would be good and why I'm not gonna bail on them now. One thing I never do, Jensen, is I do believe like players have fundamental abilities that over time like if you give it enough years may degrade but they, they remain somewhat fundamental so people's form might not be good like the best example ever by the way is actually Humanoid on Fnatic anytime he bloody wants to he can just turn up on a control mage and carry the game and look sick with mechanics but then you all know if he doesn't feel like it the next two weeks he might just play average as fuck he might be like where's that guy gone so that just shows you it's always in there it's always dormant so what I would say is this I think the, the players are just too good to be this bad guys there's no way this team I don't, I, I'm just going to say what may be famous last words this team can't do an XL slash a vitality at the end of last year like it can't be like a 10th place you know win one game team it's still good like if you look at the players right Photon by the way already looks good he actually played pretty well out of the ball he just looks like he has obviously some sort of issue connected with the team or trusting the team or something I don't blame him by the way it looks like he and my joke is he looks like he's playing nightmare top lane simulator in solo queue like there's a nightmare I would never want to play some of these games he's played then you've got the whole Douglas angle all I would say on the Douglas angle is this his only job, in my opinion, I would even tell him this like straight up as like the band-aid if you want. Your only job, Douglas, is just get this Vethio, take Vethio's hand, right? 
walk him across the road, get him safely across the road. And the road in this case is called the laning phase, Douglas. If you just get Vethio out of the laning phase, we could actually win some of these games, mate. Because I've realised on the Vethio one, I don't have too much on Botley. Hillisang has to be way less egregious with his ints. I think that's obvious. And for the Kazi one, I actually just think the meta's not the right one for him right now. You can't expect Kazi in like a fucking Varus Jin meta to be like some monster. Those just aren't his champions. Once his champions come out, all oh, they find out an angle to get him on something. He actually was even okay on the Varus. I didn't think he was terrible, by the way. And then the, the last player is obviously the Vethio one. I would actually ask you about the Vethio angle and bring you in on this. Because the problem I have is this, Jensen. A lot of people are writing this guy off. But I actually think he's just an example of a player who's got like... It's almost like inc incredibly um, well-defined strengths and weaknesses, though. Like, the weird thing, like I'm saying, is I feel like if essentially the joke is if there wasn't a laning phase, if you just spawned in a team fight with two items, this guy probably would be like the best mid laner in the league. He's actually really good, obviously. But we've seen now in two different teams, if he sort of can't get to a certain point from the lanes, then he can be somewhat like invisible in the game and people get really upset. So what do you think on the Vethio angle? Because I feel like surely it's going to hinge around how good this guy is, whether he can go to the top of the league. At LEC. What do you think of this? I think Vedia is a very uh, interesting player to examine because he started off, if I recall correctly, he was very uh, well known for Zoe, Sars, and Akali, right? That's when he was doing very yes. well on, on Misfits. And then later on, he went on to, to Excel, he went on to these other teams, and he never really could find the same form. And I think the initial impression was that this is somebody who needs the right support around him, uh, not just in-game, but out-of-game as well. And that was something that I think people talked about in interviews as well, where Vateo has to be somebody who uh, you set up the, the right pieces around him to succeed. And when you put those pieces around him to succeed, like what Peter Dunn was able to do on Heretics, then all of a sudden he looks like, hey, this guy actually can play the game again. Um, I do think that this viability roster is still fairly well constructed, right? Lukmani, I only have very big questions around Douglas. I'm not too familiar with him and his game, but having the likes of Cars and Hellasang, that's exactly the type of bot lane that you want to be able to enable that support movement into helping mid lane, right? But I think that uh, one of the games that they lost, we have Hellasang playing Nami, and then he played another game of uh, Renata, and that's not the right matter for this team. Right. This could be a team where it's just the, the wrong timing, um, wrong things are happening. Uh, the Xerath the pick was definitely something that was a little bit of a surprise when he put off the Xerath against the Azir. Uh, but I think it fits the, the trend of this is something where if we pour resources to, into mid lane, we can then boss we turn things around. But Xerath is not something like Akali where if you put the resources into that, then it's able to win out on side lanes and then be able to get your back to map control, something that they're probably working on as well. So you just end up in this very uh, uncomfortable scenarios where they just have to run them down as five mid and hope that they hit enough skill shots against their opponents and be able to retake control, retake control of the map from there, right? So I I'm not I'm not completely out on him yet. I think that the the jury's upper with regards to him but th it's definitely a meta thing and then once the meta shifts around or if they just go back to just finding the team identity and then saying that okay we're going to drop the enchanters or maybe maybe the way that back does things is that um up until the, the very point where they are at an elimination game they're just going to keep playing the enchanters to try to force hillisang to expand his pool to force these players to expand the way that they they, they play as well right it might be the whole new year new meeting i'm like siloed into playing these uh, specific type of champions let's try to expand that a little bit go to the gym a little bit more maybe finally um i'm gonna i'm gonna run that marathon that i said i was gonna run this year and we'll see how those new year's resolutions right. kind of 
Yeah, that's a good analogy. I would also say, if people don't know, actually Vitality was one of the few teams me and Zavatine had the same players who both had them fourth. That was our expectation. So obviously it doesn't look great so far, but we'll see. And I can say I'm not totally bailing on yet. By the way, in general, spoiler, I'm not going to bail on almost any team after one week of games. Like you just have to, that, That's how you know if it's someone's first rodeo or not. It's like if you're overreacting to three best of ones for a whole year, it's like... I don't know, mate. Like, this, it, like, it's not a big enough sample size, guys. And especially in this particular case, I always think the mistake on week one of the league is, week one of the league isn't about your record. It's about your player strength. Like, um, the strength of schedule, sorry. Whereas, like, obviously, if we talk now about Carmine Corp, they actually had one of the hardest strengths of the schedules. Like, they had pretty good teams out the gate. So let's talk about Carmine then. What did you think of this one? Because I think the problem here is this, Jensen. I would just set it up this way. On this particular episode... I actually think me and you are more about just talk about the game for this one rather than sort of the meta drama around it. It's more maybe so many insight topics. But I actually think the Carmine Corp one specifically, because of Yamato, because of the French-Spanish thing, I actually think that one has been clouded by the whole thing of like people laughing at the fact that they've lost all the games and then banter. Obviously, if you banter, you're not going to go, you were in three course games, but you blew them. Like you're going to go, you're trash, you just lost all the games. That's just how people banter, you know. So I feel like people actually, I, I, like there's the thing, the vitality one, if people don't know Mac, might be alarming. The Carmine Corp one, I'm not that alarmed by actually, mate. Like when I watched these games, I thought like, you know, this is like, a, at least they're in the games. At least we're seeing something for these players. Like, and these are hard games. So where are you at on this one? Like if we take out the silly social media swarm, let's just look at the games. How how did Carmine Corp do this week, do you think? They have the best player, right? They have the best player in the league, Bo. Right, Bo is just... Bo is just the best player in the LEC, but I, I, I don't know what's up with um, the way that he just ends up playing with with his team again. And I, this was a team that I was a little bit more uh, not too sure when it comes to looking at the roster, even when we're just looking at the theory crafting aspect of things. But then this is where I think where Yamato gets his uh, salt cuddle for him, right? As as a coach and his ability to really rally people together, because I think that this is a team that really needs a very charismatic figure like Yamato. And probably after this weekend, uh, the same approach that Mac has would not work for these guys, right? Bo is probably somebody from China. He already had one bad year um, here in the LEC. He's definitely feeling the pressure. And then, We've all seen what happens when he starts to feel the pressure, right? He might withdraw, he might just end up compensating and playing over aggressively, which is, I think, something that can happen as a young import talent. Uh, this happened quite a fair bit in, in NA, in the LCS, where you bring over these import players and then they start to feel that, oh, okay, my teammates are messing up, so I need to start taking all these unnecessary risks and trying to carry the game myself. And um, that's the scenario that you want to avoid, right? Because if, if you end up with that and that that's the hate space you end up going into. That's the lack of, that the trust between teammates starts to break down. Then you just end up uh, in a negative snowball, and your season can go bad really, really fast from there. But I, I'd imagine Yamato Ken is the tough coach that probably after the games he's probably going to go sit behind Saka and it's like he's going to hold his hand and show him that this is how you play Azir. Go up to to Takamas, call him a silly nickname or something like like Takamabushka or something, and he says gives him his wise words of Yamato Ken and advice. Don't let the arrow fly to your opponent okay. let the arrows come to you instead okay. something along those lines right goes up to Cabo shot and then really see with an inspiring speech and then maybe that's what can get this type of team back on track uh, i did notice that stake who was a very big uh, proposed signing for this team uh, in terms of being an assistant coach now this is why thankfully he's not a hate coach right because if he was the hate coach he'd probably look at some of these sure. players and the way they played on this team i mean the perception just is he's just there to be the ball whisperer right that's what people think yeah 
maybe that's the case, right? I didn't right. see him on the camera. No, no, sure. Um, maybe he's not there just yet. But that's uh, not having him be around could be could be one of the factors right. as well as to why they might not be firing on all cylinders yet, right? But uh, Sakin's gameplay, I think, as somebody who has played that much Azir, this is something that I think is definitely very concerning. If you're playing that many games of Azir and you don't really understand how Azir is supposed to function in terms of as as a zone control mage, in terms of poking up people when they're approaching the, the Drake fight, you watch the way that someone like a skull, a full full plays Azir, right? And you compare it to the way that Sakin plays Azir. It's just he it feels like this guy has completely the wrong idea when it comes to playing this champion. It could be nerves, it could be uh Bo having a very loud loud voice and then him getting sucked into the pace of that. Or say and sorry, but the, the thing on Sakin, I think that it's um it feels like this is someone who is either a very bad player or massively underperformed because of whatever reasons out there. Uh, communication across his team seems to be an issue as well with Targmas and, and Bo and I just say everybody at this point of time. And Kabushrat, uh has not been playing well in the, in the first week. I would not say that I'm fully off of this team yet because I think that they have the pieces to turn it around and stake a rise uh, with what Yamato has shown that he's able to do. This is exactly the type of problems that I think is within Yamato's skill set. But it is a very long laundry list. So I am a lot more concerned for KC than I am for Vitality. Yeah, the funny thing is, even though obviously, look, in many, many years ago, Yamato actually did coach Vitality, just obviously not the one last year. The reason why I actually thought he was the obvious person I would have brought in as my fixer, like I was talking about with you, I would have brought him to Vitality last year as the fixer for summer because like, as we're talking about, his whole skill set is essentially like connecting with players, both either like finding out a way basically to like boost performance, like what do we have to do? Or I would say the other thing is, if you just look at some of like the Fnatic teams he had, he looks like he's a isn't it selling the band-aid mate when it goes badly like he really did convince that whole team to just play like that Lucian army through upset style like when that was what they needed in Fnatic they all got on board and I'll tell you what they not only went to Worlds they, they were like looking at they were going to be the LEC final from that from being like they looked really bad if people forget they almost didn't make the playoffs so yeah I think actually again it's a good example of how essentially what we're doubling down on with Vitality and KC first and foremost is the coaching stuff like if they actually get time to work their magic let them cook as you Zoomers say then I actually think again, yeah, it's just, it's the right bunch. This is why I thought actually these pairings were good. Because similarly, I thought to myself, if you look at this team, the first thing you think is there are some enormous egos in this team. Like, I'll give you the three right off the bat, guys. So upset is, if people don't know, people try to make him sound like he's like the German Uzi eye. He is, but in the good way. As in, like, he is really skilled, a really good dominant laner. And yes, he wants to be played through. But here's the difference. I've known people who've coached and played with, like, Forgiven, Reckless, some of the more, like, Diva, more difficult players, right? They say, look, compared to them, like, upset's just fine, mate. There's no issue with all it's more just compared to an average player he'll be more sort of like he might be more vocal about wanting to group around himself or maybe in this game we could have given me this matchup and i could have won by the way that's actually what i want my star player to do essentially just communicate what he needs to carry the game and do his job and by the way i can tell you a lot of the stories of like it has to be him who carries that's from either his bad teams that collapsed or like when he was on like Schalke with like Odo oh, Amno weak siding guys like when he's in a team that has really good players absolutely he'll let them carry so I actually think on this one yeah I, th I think if you look at it this is the guy who can get this team back together because I also think the difference is Vitality looked quite bad from the draft to some of the games to some of the moments in the games I actually look at these Carbine games I could take all of you to a moment in all three games and pause it and I 
either it's even in the mid-game or they're ahead or they have a gold lead. Like, this actually, if I'm doing VOD review as a coach, look, I've got plenty of notes to give to my team of how we played out the lanes and how we did the team fights. So, but I'll tell you what, that's it. I've got a lot of, like, early, like, positive remarks too. Like, this, I mean, look, I think what's going to put people off is Born Upset came from Vitality and Vitality used to do this as well. Remember, they also in that shitty summer season did actually have a lot of games that they were in and then they just blew, like, late gear. But the difference is they didn't have Yamato Cannon. They just had whatever current structure they had, the Carter and someone else behind them then. And I don't know those people. I can't vouch for their methods. So I think actually people have people have gotten drawn into the WWE drama aspect of like, you know, France sucks, which is all well and good. Enjoy the league that way if you want. But I think if you're watching the players and the actual talent, this is another team that line up... I won't say, like the Vitality one, the whole lineup is too good to fail, but I think some components of it are. Like, fr quite frankly, from what I saw in this first week, the board upset signings is completely fine. They do look like they will be the star players. I even think that's why this is actually a very fixable team stylistically, Jensen. Because one of the problems I saw was it did look like Bo basically Bo was mega aggressive and then sometimes his teammates did just as we say sell him out they just didn't go in or they just let him look stupid or they just backed off now the reason that kills me is if you're fucking upset you should love Bo mate he's the guy who's going to be annoying their fucking backline while you just get a million loads of points of damage off so the, that, that team fight structure is just obvious right there my main problem actually is the people who remain from Kami Corps I'll just very briefly go over them one I myself hyped Cabochard because I, I've Thought he was a great player when he was in the LEC. I actually thought he was kind of slept on a bit. And when I saw him in the RLs, he looked pretty good, mate. He looked like a player who could play carry tops. He could basically, he was a hybrid top player. He could do whatever he wanted. So I have to say his first week was absolutely shocking to me. I actually did think he played really poorly. And I just don't even understand. Look, I'm not somebody who usually complains about specific drafts, but I just don't understand why they drafted him that Malphite game. It just seemed like a bit of a weird one to me. It feels like there's so many options. And then... Sacken, I agree. The problem is if people don't know, he's not a rookie. He used to be in LEC a long time ago, but he played a long time in ERLs with Carmen Corp. In the ERLs, he always looked good. And by the way, Aze is his main champion. So I'm sorry, I have to I have to give him the benefit of the doubt on this one, Jensen. I don't believe someone who's played a bazillion games like him really thinks that's how you pilot Aze. That looked to me like nerves, like he looked hesitant. He looked like he was a bit worried that the pressure was getting to him. So week one, I'll see you on week two for that one. And then for the Targamas one, I just don't understand what that ash pick was about. He was fucking, he was quite poor on it. Aside from that, I've actually heard behind the scenes that he did get his, his game together and people, they are behind the scenes, no one's out on him like the fans are from XL. They all think he's going to have like a bounce back here. So again, I'm not, I'm not out completely on Carmen Cobb. Can you give me some thoughts on some of the players or the style? What was, what, what's the issue for you? Um, I think <clears> the big one to address is Roy Targamas because probably most people remember him as from his time on XL, right? He showed up and I, I'm not too sure, um, if what happened on Excel uh, behind the scenes is is, is very well known, oh, no. because I've, I've only heard it like sec secondhand, right? So uh, apparently that there was a very huge uh, dressing room issues, and Targumas was quite was quite a big part of that. I I don't think I should exactly go in. I I don't know, right? But that that is definitely a cause of concern. And especially the point is, there's another factor that could affect like in-game performance, right? Not just like being yep. bad at the game is what you're trying to get to, right? Yeah. And if, if you go off the zero three start, I'm not sure if this is something that uh, that is a chronic issue, right? Maybe it's, it's one time, it's one place in an environment and things don't go well, and then things snowball from there. And then here, Targamas is, is here again on a team that's not starting off well in the LEC. And um, if, if it's going to be a repeat incident of what happened last year. So that's probably my biggest concern with regards to that, but that's more or more 
more the out of game things. Um, I do not think Sakan is a good pairing for Bo, right? Uh, if I'm playing with Bo, I want the Nistries, I want the Doan Bs, I want the Maples of the world. People who are willing to go out there and they're just going to pick Nico every game. They're going to they're gonna pick some tank mid, they're going to pick Nautilus, they're going to pick Nico, they're going to pick um, Galio and Twisted Fate and stuff like that, right? These are the type of players that you want to be pairing with Bo. I get that this is a uh, common cop, they're coming in from the ERLs, they were the EU Masters champion, and then they wanted to come in with the whole uh, French representation thing. So they had Saka, their couple shard, and they tried to keep as much off the roster as possible, and they, they tried to upgrade it by bringing in uh, Bow and Upset. But I do not think that these were the right pieces to exactly upgrade the team, and I do not think that this particularly syn synergized as well, right? By the so, way, before you go to the other players, one thing I will say is funny is that that is one of the weirdest angles. When you, when you say it like that, it seems so obvious, Jensen. The weirdest thing is, obviously what made us all initially hype about ball was the fpx run but we're all ignoring he was playing with fucking Dynebee, who is known as one of the most influential mid laners ever over the jungler but we've all actually like removed that component whereas as you say if someone's played with niski like the joke is when we get to isma he doesn't even get any credit yet because everyone just goes well, it's just be niski but the the angle here is we're all taking ball away from Dynebee and then acting like there wasn't some like jungler effect from Dynebee, which by the way if people don't know even beyond niski Dynebee is easily the most famous for playing with the jungler as he even played with loads that you guys don't even remember like flawless cleared every jungler pretty much just their job is just have hands and do what Don B says so like I actually, that is a mad angle because if you think about it all we did is take him and then put him with people like per I mean, Perks is a pretty different player to fucking Don B if you don't know guys like not really too similar at all so yeah it's kind of strange right we just ignored that angle completely it's obviously a big influence I imagine yeah, I mean, definitely. So that, that's one of the things that when K-Corp signed this guy, I'm not too sure if this is something that they knew. But right. like as right tools for the right job, is this a Yamato Cannon job? If you're bringing like somebody more technical, one of the guys who works in the nitty-gritty of the game and tries to help players like squeeze out the extra 5-15% in the game, that's the wrong guy for the job. Is this a Yamato Cannon job? This is a Yamato Cannon job. Right. right? Yeah, sure. What about, uh, do you think they have a flaw with how they play stylistically? Was it, do you think they, I mean, the other thing to say as well is when you have got a team like this where, like, it's not like that, even though there's three remaining players, like, those players are top, mid, and, and support. Okay, yeah, mid and support play together, but, like, you are still fixing a whole team together. You're making the jungle fit in, and then how's the ADC? For, like, what did you think of, like, the, like, did, did they feel uncoordinated to you? Or was it a macro issue? What do you think stopped them being able to win any games? So I, I had written on my notes when I was just watching through the games that Sakhan was a very, very big issue, right? They were in winning positions that was blown, um, I think, in two out of the three games, single-handedly by Sakhan, and then one one of the games was Copper Shard, right, with the Muffet out in mid lane, and they, they were just repeatedly trolled this one position. So they were getting into these good positions. They have the ability to get into these good positions, but this is what we call fate of loss in the game, right? It's something that... Um, that I think I'm trying to think of past examples in the LEC. I think the the old XL team, right, when Nelson was still coaching them, that's the one I recall. Where they would have this one critical fatal flaw, where they would always overpush the mid lane wave, where it was working for them at first, and then once people started to catch on to that, they would just over engage, find that five people would be there or people would TP in, and then they would always lose the fight on that when they were already in the winning position. He means so, the the Luke Duck Marcoon one for if people are remembering. You're not talking about the yeah. Vethio one, yeah. Just just in case people are yeah. lost, yeah. Keep going. So the, that was what I remember I was watching. And this is a sure. team that has got a fatal flaw. And when the team has a fatal flaw, you're always just going to be there and you can never trust them, right? Because you know that there's this one part of the game that they understand that you, in, deep inside you, you feel, or I would even say you know that it's wrong, 
And then when this scenario pops up, which I would say is a rather common scenario in the game, in this case is uh, handling team fights around Drake, when you outrange the opponent, right? Everybody, most other teams can just close it out. Simply you watch the yes. way the LPL teams play, they control the line bush, they cut you out, they clear the wave, they chunk you out before you come in, and it's like, oh, yeah, we all chunked to about 60%, we can't contest this anymore. They're not controlling the line bush, they're not controlling these areas accordingly. And um, as a result of that, I... I'm a bit. Um, that's that's where that's where my concern comes from, right? Where until they have shown and proven to me that they understand and they have fixed these things and they they do not conceptualize the game in a different way, I I don't trust them yet to to say that this is a team that they can turn around. Right, by the way, being as I feel like because they kept the same lineup, everyone it feels like no one has any interest in convo around G two, mate. Everyone's just like it's the same team, they're the best team. Who gives a shit? They lost one game, yeah, yeah, whatever. Do you is there any is there any specific angle you have on G two? What do you think about this first week or them keeping the same roster? Or is it, have you got any take? Um. When I when I was watching Worlds, so the conversation in G two had definitely has to stop with Worlds, right? Because that kind of contextualizes it. It's like everybody was like wondering because I know at the start they they were hyping themselves up to be potentially rivaling twenty nineteen G two, and of course they they didn't make the top eight of Worlds, right? They lost the NRG, but they still put up a very decent showing against the Asian teams. Sure. I felt that this G two they they lacked the magic. Right, they they lacked the magic. They were definitely the best Western team, but it was not 2019 G2 where they would pull out a pike in the top lane. They'll pull out Sindre, they carry. They'll pull out these things where you. It's the opposite of what I just talked about, right? Where they just inspired such confidence in you that you knew that they would be able to pull out something, even when they were going in. Um, in the into the semi-finals or was it the the against the finals against FPX and then they're, they're talking about oh sorry when they repeated the roster in 2020 and they were playing against Damon in the semi-finals oh, yeah, sure. when Yankos is there saying that don't worry guys I've got a great idea for blue side draft and right. stuff like that and the boys comps and stuff like that it's things like that that inspires confidence in you and sure. inspires confidence in you to to believe in them but this iteration of G2 yes they're a strong team they're doing a lot of things correctly a lot of decisions that they make um that they are making makes sense in general. Of course, ignoring the fact that Caps had an absolute stinker of a weekend, um, I think that this is a, it has been very uncharacteristically poor play from, from Caps over this uh, past three games, right? And I think that Yike was also not necessarily um, making the best decisions as well. But these are very minor complaints as compared to what I'm seeing in the rest of the LEC, right? Where it's the, these very huge fatal flaws that are popping up as compared to, uh, yep, there's like some minor mistakes over there and then Rogue outskill them with a scaling com after they mess up a tree. tree. Um, as compared to some of the other things where uh, I'm a lot more concerned for other teams. So overall, I think it's still a little bit hard to judge G2 because this is the type of team where it will be interesting to revisit them at the end of the split where they've had more time, they've had more games in and then they can start to talk about um, now that they have had more time together as a team, is this, are we going to see more evolution for them or have they kind of hit the, their peak and then they're just plateauing? Yeah, the funny thing is, this is where I actually know, unfortunately, like, look, this isn't actually like a big black pill or anything, guys. You'll be able to continue on after you hear this info. It's just unfortunate. It's one of those, like, things about reality you just have to accept if you're going to follow a thing where people are fans. Is Some people are just fans of things like one player, but not necessarily, like, the player being the best. Like, sometimes they just follow that player. And basically, if that player has the status of being the best, so I could use popular example, 
examples. Messi, LeBron, especially if they were once the absolute best. If someone's just a fan of them, you'll notice the trend is they'll hang on to the bitter end. They'll just say they're the absolute best at the absolute end. Like, the joke is one day before he retires, the Messi fans will say he's still the best player. Even if, like, at that point, like now, he's not the best player anymore. He's just a good player. There's some, he's at the end of his career, guys. He's really old if you don't know so. The, what, the point I'm making is I actually do didn't see almost any comfort aside from Rich on Twitter, Rich's wrath saying it. And maybe like, I don't know, I guess he did the odd in people coming on. Dude, bear in mind G2 went 2 1 1 and are the best team in the league. How are SM, how is no one going to talk about how bad Caps looked? Because I'm with you, Jensen. This was shocking, actually. Like, uh, for me, he's a player where, especially because Audivian said, like, my main criticism the last year was I actually thought, if anything, he took a little bit of. Um, the spice out of his game. It looked like he tried to make it a bit more consistent and be a bit less of the old caps that was more the coin flip, as it were, you know. This was just a really bad week, mate. Like, I don't know. Look, again, I'll give him the benefit of that. Obviously, he's the greatest European player ever, but this was a fucking alarming-looking first week. I mean, he's got such a mega team that can win without him, but in theory, if you're caps, you're supposed to sort of be in the easiest position to look awesome. You're supposed to be the MVP of the league, probably. <laughs> it's kind of shocking, right? So th this is where I play defense a little bit for Caps, right? Like, the ins that he's making are not game-losing hits. They, they look bad because um, this is this is the Caps that this is the caps that was from 20, 2018, 2019, right? Where it was Caps to Craps. And uh, he was put into these positions where he could over, overextend and reach for those plays. And it's because he went for it and it didn't work out. That's why it looks so bad, right? And, of course, when it doesn't look, look good... It looks really bad, and everyone's saying, "Oh, it's going to say craps," and that that, cap, that the caps is not going to be playing well. But, but the fact that he can be put into these positions as well, um, I, I wouldn't say that he's, I wouldn't say the caps is completely washed, right? He oh, went in sure. there; it was a few flips, it didn't work out. Uh, there's definitely some of the scenarios he could have could have played a little bit better, or or some of the decisions. I'm thinking of the one where he overextends against Rogue in the bot lane because he tries to greet for the kill on um on the AD carry. And these are the top scenarios where if, if they need to clean it up, these style things will disappear and we can just go back to the, the I wouldn't say go back to prime caps, but he he's not going to be a bad player. No, right? sure. Yeah, all I would say is this is the lens I would give you if you're a, a reasonable casual fan. Mate, if we took the nameplate off and that was Perks that people thought did those plays, how do you think they would react to that? Because if you don't know, Perks has like, the joke is the second he starts making a questionable play, it's almost like people ring an alarm bell, like it's fucking dinner time or something. Like the haters just swarm in like World War Z or something. Like, so all I'll say is it must just be nice to be caps and have that sort of fucking G2 privilege, I guess, where you're allowed to just have a bad week and people sort of don't notice because your team won the game. I actually think that even shows some people are just noobs and thought like, oh, they won, so he must have been good. It's like, just watch the games for fuck's sake. He does have like, remember, all of his teammates, guys, are all LEC players. Like probably justifiably so, like he has a mega team. Right, okay, what about this then? Obviously, another team that did very well this first week was Fnatic. Now, I will say, Jensen, this is an interesting one because obviously, if people don't know, I'll bring up the list if I can still. I actually had them probably lower down than some people. I had... Um, I had them all the way down in fifth and Zabatine had them in third. I noticed a lot of people actually felt like had them like second or third in LEC. A lot of people actually were quite hyped about this team and obviously they had them won the first week. Where were you at coming into the split and how has the first week been? Well, I think that um, ever since 
So one of the things that humanoid, uh, sorry, that Fnatic is stuck with is they're stuck with uh, with humanoid and Resolve, right? Because of contract issues and stuff like that. But they have the humanoid Whisperer as their coach, right? Nightshare is one okay. of the few people, and and I have to say though that the whole like start of the split doing poorly kind of thing is now just a Mac thing, right? Humanoid. <laughs> sure. Now that he's got, now that he's got a coach that he's pals with and stuff like that, and you can see right when they're celebrating and stuff like that, when 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 humanoid gets a kill on screen, the way Nightshare reacts and everything, it's slightly different. Not to say that he's going to be biased with regards to the players, but it's very clearly there's a stronger bond sure. over there. This is the guy who can make humanoid work, right? Who can go go over there, coax him out of his shell, and make sure that playoffs humanoid happens on a much more regular basis and that's what we're seeing in, in this first week as well which is something that we don't usually get to see when it comes to the humanoid and the lec right so um i i have to say though oscar Rinan was a very big surprise in terms of performance in this first week but i'm not i'm not gonna go all out and say that this is this guy is going to be the the, the next best top laner he's not going to be there as the he's not definitely going to be the sorry I would not say that he's a shoo-in to be the first team all pro for top lane just yet, but he definitely had a very good week one, right? The way he was playing, I felt oh, like he was sure. very measured. A lot of the mistakes that he was making from last year have, have been fixed up. And I and I would say as well, so to go back to the coaching angle, I think that this is credit, uh this is where credit can go go to night chair as well, right? This is this guy is trained as a doctor when it comes to and I've worked him as and I've worked with him as well when it comes to diagnosing symptoms and identify and identifying problems and then coming up with solutions to them. He's somebody who has experience in that in, in the medical field and he knows how to translate that over to League of Legends as well, right? So he's not just a coach. So is this kind of perfect storm for him where he's able to be able to work well with humanoid, who is um I would say can be classified as a more challenging to work with oh, players sure. so he takes that box and then he's able to develop these talents as well and now he's also um ha he also has to integrate two koreans into the team culture as well and i think team culture is one of his big strengths as well right whether he will integrate well with asians and how uh, asian culture is like uh was one of the concerns that i had when it was announced that they were getting a korean support as well but so far it seems that things are fine uh i'll probably have to wait for the next like fanatic rising sure. or legends in action I don't recall what the name of it was to, to probably try to get more of a snapshot of what's happening inside the team. We wouldn't get to see like the the, the all all the, the dark and dirty kind of stuff that goes on behind because that would not be on camera. But it's still good enough to kind of give you a vibe as to what's happening in the team, are people smiling, who's talking to one another. And then that would give me a better vibe as to uh, how well this team is jolling. Because like we said, right, as, as much as we have do give time for uh, Vitality and for, for KCorp. We can't just say that, yep, Fnatic's definitely going to be a top team. We have to see how well do these integration issues um, get resolved when they eventually do come up, right? And trust me, they will come up because this is something that has sure. plagued uh, Western teams throughout the history of League of Legends, right? You bring two Koreans over, they don't necessarily immediately integrate into the team setting. And once conflict starts to happen, that's where the difference in cultures when it comes to conflict resolutions really pops up forefront. Actually, what's funny is I'd never thought of that angle because if people don't know... Not only is Nightshare, who is the twin brother of Freeze, if people don't remember, not only is he obviously Czech himself, but he actually used to work with Humanoid back in the day, if people don't know, on some of the Czech teams. So I hadn't thought of that angle, that that was one of the angles to bring him in, was actually specifically potentially to be the Humanoid Whisperer, because you are sort of right. If you look at the time period that he's been in Fnatic, that's when Humanoid at least got some of his game back and now shows games like he did this week where he looks like a very good player again. I will say that my problem with this team is this. 
it's going to be another classic double down, like I sort of hinted earlier, guys. I'm going to need more on some of these players before I really bail. Because the reason I'm not going to sort of say similarly that this is an elite team, it's definitely the second or third best team, is there's two obvious reasons for me. One is actually, I was going to say the same thing. It's the Oscar in one guy, right? Which is, look, here's what sounds weird, guys. He actually played too well. As in, I just don't believe he's going to do that every week. I think he sort of overperformed a little bit and that did make them look a lot better. So my issue is I think he's going to level off a bit. The problem I have with him is this. What really shook me was seeing Wonder come in when he was injured. And I know Wonder, by the way, had just been chilling and then started practicing. And you saw day by day when they when Wonder played with them in those season finals, how he got better and better and better and better. And it's like, mate, that just shows you like the possibilities of what you can do as a top player in LEC. Whereas Oscar, and he's just scratching the surface still guys he has some carry games he has some games that look clean he has some games where he still looks a bit lost he's still to me a rookie spiritually like he hasn't had enough time so in fact people will forget he didn't even play all of last year obviously they started with wonder in the first split so uh, for me I think it's a very promising player but I need to know like what can I really expect week to week to week so if I see some more promising things next week then I'll start to think maybe more is possible from this team because when I looked at Oscar and I was thinking right this is somebody who's going to be like you know like the fifth best top player or something at the moment it looked way better in the this first week and then the other one is <clears throat> if you're gonna resurrect humanoids form having the fucking meta be a zero and a carly can't exactly be too bad can it like this is like exactly what the doctor ordered like these are all his favorite champions boys like he's right about in his wheelhouse again and then obviously even though yes you have to figure, figure out the bot lane issues you did keep four of the same players and the coach so you, you, you notice another thing that's a benefit for week one I'm sure we're going to talk about with Mad Lions is if the coach and the players have pre-existing synergy like that's it's not like that fixes everything but it's a lot of like base level things are established you've got the foundation set they know who you are how you work, what to do. So I think Fnatic probably got a little bit of um, value out of that early on too. Uh, the key thing for me is this, at least so far, they do look like there's a lot more potential in the team and maybe they can be a top team. That would be cool. I was a bit more cynical coming in because they didn't, unfortunately, break, break up Razor Cumanoid. It's not even, by the way, like in LEC, they're bad. It's not like they can't play. It's just, I always look at those two players and think, I'm not even hating on you two players. I actually think both of you would be better with different players. Like if I could pair Humanoid with the right jungler and Razor with the right middle. I think they could both be like all LEC first team players that's all skilled. So and it's just the potential of Fnatic is what kind of tugs at me a little bit. I feel like they could be so much better. Then again, though, I guess it depends what happens with the bot lane, right? If the bot lane becomes insane, who knows? I do think that um, if the bot lane becomes very insane and this type of meta does keep up, it definitely can avoid a lot of the problems that you you might have as um that you might have in in a very mid jungle centric meta, right? Because in this type meta, you you play you play a zero, you play a Kali. These two champions can kind of function. Uh, I wouldn't say entirely in silos because it's never really truly a silo in mid lane, but they are a lot more independent of the jungler. So in this meta, this is a good so as 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 opposed to the vitality where you want to be playing lots of uh, where you want to be putting lots of attention around mid. This is something where the jungler can largely ignore mid lane and then have the mid lane connect to the jungler's blade later on. So I would say that this is something that the, the meta covers for Fnatic's weaknesses, while it accentuates what Vitality has as a problem. All right, let's do it then. Since obviously, I'll, I'll set it up like this. Here's the punchline, okay? So what happened was, when we did our rankings on the first episode with Zabatine, I had Mad Lions dead last. I was so cynical. I put them completely dead last 10th. And Zabatine took kindness and had them 9th. So all you need to know is, yes, absolutely everyone, as far as I can tell, who isn't Spanish, 
didn't rate this team highly, doesn't expect much from them. Quite frankly, seems to think they're one of the worst teams in the league. What What was your perspective coming in? I would say that if I'm going to frame this from the perspective of LDOR, right? So if I'm a very promising jungle talent, um, there's two ways that there are, there are two scenarios that I would want, right? One is I would want to uh, be on G2. I want to be on the best team with the best players who knows how, and a team that knows how to make a winning culture work, right? And a lot of people will say that, okay, so what would be the second option then, right? Or would it be to be on the second best team with the second best players with somewhat of a winning culture? No, that is actually the thing that I want to avoid, right? Because if okay. I'm going to start working with all sorts of superstar players, then I myself as a superstar need to learn a new skill set, which is how do I manage my ego and manage other people's egos together? And this is a team that does has not necessarily learned how to make it work just yet, right? G2, they have the winning formula, no matter who they put in, in there, no matter how big their egos are, uh, with the exception of that one year, with, with Reckless, of course, they have shown that they have been able to, to make it work, right? But if they're going to put me on a team that's, um, let's say Vitality, right? Every year they try to build a super team roster, they spend lots of money, they bring me on, they bring on all these big names that are not caps, that's not Wonder, that is not... Um, I kind of think on the AD carry right now, right? But, but it's, it's not, it's not, yeah, it's, it's, it's not upset, right? It's just the second place players across the board. And then now they have to, I have to manage my egos together with them. And then this has the potential. It's got all the pressure and none of the, and uh, very little of the upside because we're not actually the best team in the LEC. That is actually the, the nightmare scenario because it can go bad very fast, very quickly. And it'll be extremely awful to be on that. I would actually say Mad Lions and what they have given to Elioia just, but solely from his perspective, it's probably the next best thing to that, right? Because now he's king of the castle, right? He says anything and everybody goes, si, senor. Anything he wants, he's the big superstar. It's like four players that have already pre-existing synergy. So they have already worked out whatever um, issues that they might have had between each other. They finished second in the in the EU Masters, right? They finished second to, to, to K-Corp in the EU Masters. And then they have a jungle upgrade in who I believe is effectively now the team captain in Elioia, to show them the light and the magic that he has learned from his time being on Mad Lions in the past, past that's able to say that this is how you play League of Legends. And I think that's translating into, into the way that they play games. They see two people appear on the side lanes. They're not afraid to just flash forward and just go kill the opponents. This is not something that you usually see out of a rookie team. When a rookie team comes up, right? Usually these people are a little bit more scared. They play a little bit more safe. But this is a team that has the aggressiveness. They know how to jump on the opportunities. But I even thought that it was very bold of them in their first game against Team Heretics to go for that double tree invade on the bottom side of the map, right? And if I were, if you were to tell me that that, that, that was not Elioia, and that was uh, their previous jungler, which was Isma, right? Going for the top of play, I would think that this is them causing disaster, right? But this is Elioia. He, he he's a he's an experienced jungler in the LEC. He knows that you can look for these opportunities. They knew very clearly that. In fact, I would have to say though, credit to whoever is out there. If this was entirely planned, if they knew that the change in map architecture would actually create a blue side advantage and going for those type of invades, all right, and props to them, right? The fact that they can then just push aggressively up right. and then have the wall behind them. Um, that was where I think uh, the AD carry super flashed like, across the wall into the river. Nobody can actually follow him, right? Because if you follow with the flash, you're just in thing. So it creates this type of blue side advantages when invading onto the blue buff. And despite the opponent having the likes of a Vine Nami, which can usually one-shot somebody, they knew that they could use this architectural map advantage to really push the pressure. Let's ignore the fact that Perks low-key 
that fight for a second there. Sure. I actually think that this is really brilliant for them, right? And if this entire team is just going to be Elioya with his years of experience, who's arguably, I mean, everyone say that Jankos was uh, all team, uh, first team pro, right? And I think that's a very good argument whether it's him or Elioya. But this is them taking all the experience of Elioya and just doubling down on that, right? How this team scales in the long run, we'll have to see. Um, I would have to say that this almost feels like a uh, adapted version of a Peter Dunn type of project, right? Where you take a star and then you build the, the pieces around him. Probably, I would say, maybe at the end of this year or when they go into the summer split, um, they might have to change one piece or two. And then that one piece or two would then possibly push them into the into the tier where this is a team that's not just uh, sneaking into worlds, but this is a team that, teams that, that you can be excited about, about, right? And what I actually found that this whole uh, Mad Lions project with Bequoia is, is so interesting is that I think this is more reflective of the overall esports scene, right? Everybody in the past was going about how do we get wins, how do we uh, brand, uh, brand ourselves as an entertainment model. I actually thought the Mad Lions, what they did here with going with a much more regional context is them trying to adapt more towards the sports model. So I think that this was a was a perfect storm of synergy for them, right? They, they went in there, they found the right style there to build a route, they built a full Spanish team around him, and then the question is, uh, can they can they keep up the success, right? So if I were to go back and say that to what I was saying earlier, and it's about changing one of these pieces, if they were going to, so this is where it gets a bit concerning, right? Because if, if you go back to the old models of how people did things in the past, then you, you look to Korea. You look to uh, within your competition within the LEC. Let's say let's say they find that um, hypothetically speaking, right? They find that Supers the one or the AD carry or maybe the the the, the top leaner is the one who is not really cutting cutting his uh, cutting his weight in in not cutting his weight. He's cutting his worth in in the LEC, and they need to make a replacement. In the past, you would then go to um, a Korean team, an LPL team, or within your competition, the LEC, to see if you can find a Patrick or someone like that, right, in the AD carry position to bring in. But in this case, if they're going with more of a sports model, then they're definitely going to look for someone Spanish. And is there a such a replacement available for them if they were to hit the stage to say that this is where we're kept out and this is where we have to make a replacement to get this team to succeed and really make the push for roles, if that is even their goal in the first place, of course. Yeah, the problem with this team, obviously, like you've addressed in your um, explanation there, is you have to take in, like, off-season considerations. What are they trying to do? What is their expectations? So my problem is, I think it's both. I think they've essentially, here's the problem, Jensen, the, the term that people need to understand in League of Legends, because it, it applies in the real world, is political expedience. What it means is it's when so, yeah, a politician or some political figure does something, but they just do it because it's just essentially like either the easiest or sort of like the most profitable, almost beneficial, or just the like sort of path of least resistance in that moment. But obviously, because they're a politician, you message it as if it's something really good that you wanted to do anyway. Like, oh no, this is a good thing that I'm doing this. So what you've done is instead of coming out, Jensen, and going, sorry, Mad Lions fans, I know we were a contender last year and for many years, before and that coach Mac built us repeated like contenders that went to worlds. We're not going to sign him or any of the good players except El Yoya. But wait, that's not what we're going to sell you. Actually, it's a it's a total pivot, and we're going to sell you your we're mad lions Spanish. Got El Yoya, your favorite Spanish player. Let's sell you the dream that we're a Spanish team. It's about nationality.
royalty. You know those guys you all cheered for? The Movistar riders from the LVP? They're coming along too. They're in the LEC. If you sell that angle, then if someone is a Spanish fan, they're in. The Jokers, even though the team isn't good yet, and spoiler, I don't care about these two results, three results. They're not good yet, guys. They're not. But they're already sort of like, right, well, okay, I'm sort of, I'm emotionally invested, even if I don't know if they're good. And... Let's be real. If they really did buy into that silly drama from last year about Niski and El Yoya and the French versus Spanish angle, then your whole angle is like, oh, at least he's not being injured by that terrible Niski anymore. By the way, watch that SK game. How how did that Niski fella play? He fucking looked like he had like a revenge like storyline play. It's like anime or something, guys. He looked like he wanted to murk El Yoya. And he did, by the way. So my problem is this. My issue with the Mad Lions one, I'll make it brief because I could do a whole video on this, is just that I think if you know that like behind the scenes, I'm going to guess, by the way, that I don't think like that. That's why I say I think it's political experience. I think it's both. I think they simultaneously did see the sea change, which is at the moment, the marketing angle, as you've seen from LEC, is if you're French or Spanish, play to those fan bases. Those are easily the most developed of the RLs that people don't know, the ones that actually have the pop-off audience that want the nationalism, etc. That obviously, for I mean, I've joked about, but for obvious reasons, doesn't apply to like the German scene, for example. It's non-existent in comparison. But the you, I think that like part of it is you just didn't want to, you could you didn't or couldn't spend as much money. You couldn't probably pay Mac and Kazi and Hillisa. You know, like these people need real salaries, guys. Like these are people who are champions to be at the top league. In fact, after last year, if you think about how sports works, after last year, you're probably all supposed to get a bob pop in your salary. You've all just done an awesome year. You went to World's MSI, you won a split, you're in a fight. Like that's a but that's better than expectations. So my issue is just this. I think. I, it'll take me a while this year to shed the fact that I'll always look at this team and I'll look at El Yoya and go, they could have built another contender, especially this off-season, by the way. There's a load of names. Think of the ones that didn't get signed, Jensen. There's another problem I have with this team. If I watch this bot lane play, first thing I'm thinking is, that could be Trimby. I'm sorry, if I watch their fucking mid laner play, the first thing I think is, hey, you know what? I wasn't the biggest Abedagi fan, but couldn't he play this game? You know what I mean? I'm going to be thinking that on a, a bunch of these positions. Thinking about like fucking the people who are in the league right now. So uh, first of all, I have to think that initially when I know you could assign those people. Once I lock into this specific team, the sad thing is, yeah, I can see how they won these first games. There clearly is a level of coordination like you're talking about that the other teams don't have. And actually, I'll give a fair play to them. I agree. Normally, rookies, the coordination wouldn't matter because you play so scared early on. They did the opposite. They actually really did play really decisively and go in when they needed to. And all basically, like like the jokers in the Carmine Cop game, they actually outfought, out team fought Carmine Cop. Like Carmine Cop individually as players, I think all look stronger. But it doesn't matter. That's classic League of Legends, a team fight. When the team fights together, it beats individual players who fight, as you saw. So that's all good. My problem is just this. You already saw in week one. This is the same week where they also had the game where they got booty blasted by SK. And by the way, SK is a good team. We'll talk about them, but they're not the, they're not fucking G two. Like guys, G SK made them look really bad. Especially remember the players that have come up from Movistar Riders. It's obviously the mid and bot side of the map. El Yoya was hyping this bot lane, guys. I'm supposed to believe this is the next Kazi and Kaiser that have come up and, you know, they're going to, like, take over the league. I don't buy it. And I'm, from these games, I do not buy that this bot lane's going to run over the whole LEC. It isn't. And then the mid laner, I'm sorry, he puts the fucking mid in mid laner. He's not, there's no way this is going to be a top mid laner. I'm sorry, I refuse to believe it. And then the last thing I'll actually throw in is, on the El Yoya angle... The one person I do feel sorry for, just because they've gotten this pop and everyone's loving them in week one, is the Isma guy. Because in his case, 
You can't even complain they didn't bring you up, can you? They had El Yoya, bro. Like, in that scenario, one, you are French. And then two, they had El Yoya. Like, you, you were never getting that gig. You even knew it. As soon as, I bet as soon as they said, yeah, we're going to Mad Lions. You're like, right, see ya. I'll just find my team for the off-season guy. It's a waste of time even dreaming. So, for all we know, by the way, with his old team, he might have looked great with them too, but he doesn't get a chance. It's El Yoya. I know what you mean, Jensen. Put it this way. If this team even managed to make it, like, let's say they were even the fourth or fifth team, Unironically, that probably means El Yoya is the MVP of the whole LEC at that point in time. Because I, I agree, this team is going to just be completely all aboard the El Yoya Express. And we're actually going to see now, can he just be the absolute cracked out best jungler? So in a way, look, if you're an El Yoya fan, I am a fan of his game. It'll be fun. Like, this isn't like when Mad Lions was really good and he used to have to play Uday for them to win the championship. Like, I doubt that's as much fun. This is going to be like, you can imagine all the pop-off El Yoya champions. So the one upside is at least it's going to be Gank City, baby. But I, personally, I think it's very easy, by the way. Everyone wants me, Jensen, on a show like this to go, I was wrong about Mad Lions. They will be great. And I... Dude, this is one of the easiest double downs of all. Like, I'll just do, you know, the concept in the stock market, I'll just short. I'll say that I'm going to bet against them doing well, guys. And I'm going to sort of ride them the dip, as it were. I'm going to take it down. What do you think? You think they can do it at all? By the way, essentially, they don't have to be good. Where, where do you think it's plausible they can get to? Is it, can they get higher than this? Can they be like, can they be a playoff team? I think they're definitely a playoff team. I think that this team is definitely a playoff team. I think that one of the, the big um, differences that people have not really talked about yet is how close the LEC and ERLs have gotten over time. Oh, right? okay. And how yeah. much bleeding no longer matters. So if I if I were to go back when I was working, um, when I was doing two-way coaching, when I was working in, in the, the LEC with, with Spice, I was just doing bottling coaching, um, and I was uh, coaching the Spice Vipers at the time as well, right? Which was the B team. And then later on when it became the, the Mad Lions as well, the, the biggest difference was in the laning phase, right? You were played there and you just wouldn't get past five minutes. You just die because they, the, the LEC guys knew what to bother Jesus, they knew all the tricks, and they would just take better traits than you, and you wouldn't really be able to get any game going. But I think over time, it's been shown that these uh, ERL players, over time, the, the laning level has gone up, and the ability to really show a difference in laning, it's only, you only really see it when you see like a Chovy play against... Uh, um, uh, someone else right the worst middle when you have a, 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 like you need a, two tiers of difference to really see that expression and difference and you need someone to really be a specialist in the field so um the, the laying difference isn't th that big as before so once people start to understand that you play lane stays to par and that you're able to execute those lane stays to par you don't have to crush your lane and if you have a start jungler like Elioia, it's actually very easy to then translate that into for the leads in the game, right? Because all I need to do is crash this wave. It doesn't really matter that I didn't get the additional trade in. It doesn't matter that I missed one CS as compared to what uh, an Uzi might have had in the bot lane. I'm just there. I crashed the wave. I did my job. <laughs> wave 3 crashed in. I reset. Support now connects with jungler and Elioia does this thing. So that's one of the factors why I'm a little bit higher in terms of Mad Lions and uh, why I was as well for for KC and, and KC's problems for the ERL players was not in terms of well, but technically they were all ex uh, LEC players, right? For Saken, for Saken, Kabuchar, and, and Targumas. But um, if we were to just classify them as ERL players, um, my concern for them wasn't in the laning phase, right? My, my concern for them wasn't their ability to adapt to the level of gameplay that you see in the ERLs. And if Elioya can bridge that game for that, and if Elioya can bridge that gap for them, then I'm actually i'm actually pretty high on them so far from from what i've seen right of course like i like i mentioned uh is that when they hit that that wall when they hit that peak 
um, that's when I would start to be a little bit more concerned for this team. It's like the old cloud night, right? You take higher of the team, all of a sudden uh, things start to fall apart really quickly, right? They they went from like a top two, top three team into being ninth place all of a sudden. Uh, of course, they're not going to replace Elioia. It's going to be replacing one of the other pieces, but I'm not too sure if that's going to change the dynamic of the team right. and if they're going to be able to effectively replace those pieces because this is probably a project that's very competitive to the we are a spanish organization and even if one of the players are underperforming is there really another spanish player who is ready to then take their place yeah that's true that's actually also the dark part people haven't thought about yet with this whole we're gonna be we're french we're spanish it's like it's gonna be a lot harder by the way to kick those french and spanish players and then like you're saying what if the player waiting is just like trimby from poland it's like well, that's not any connection to your theme but he might actually be the right player to come in and make you awesome so yeah just shows why i hope they have to i hope they only do that for marketing hope competitively they will like make the right compromises right Go I on. just want to say, though, that yeah, it's criminal that Trimby doesn't have a team. It's mental, right? isn't it? I know. It's criminal that Trimby doesn't have a team. It's just mad. I don't get it myself. <laughs> to me, he's another one of those players where it's like, that what they actually bring, like, in terms of the thing, like, just draft potential and stuff, like, it, this is a play you gamble on. Even if they're in bad form, like when Fnatic got him, you just gamble that you're going to have the right environment to bring him out there. Because if you do, the upside's crazy, isn't it? Like, I imagine if I'm a coach, it must be a dream having a player like that. Who, like, remember the joke is he suggested like three fucking pocket picks that the other team hasn't thought of. Never mind you saying, what can you do this year? So, yeah, I, I agree. That's one of those ones that really is criminal. Some of the other ones are more borderline this offseason, but that one I actually think is actually mental. The idea he didn't get any team, not even any, not, not even the worst teams given an offer. So, right, let's go on obviously the team that has really i mean literally in the standings but also you just look at the games like eye test wise sk fucking knocked it out the park this first week here's the thing i'll tell you where i had them i actually did have sk at uh i had them at sixth and Zabatine had them at fifth, I believe. And the reason why I had them at sixth was that isn't even to hate on them, guys. Remember, I have them above teams like BDS, Mad Lions, Rogue, Giant. Well, remember, last year, different rosters of these were all some of the top teams by the end of the year. So what I was actually saying by that is it's more like I always think SK clearly does sort of do some sort of money ball slash min-max approach. Like, I've heard basically they get one or two big names and then the idea is you min-max on the rest of you, you try and just make a smart roster around it. And if people don't know one of the the people behind the team as a general manager is Crepo. And actually, if you look at all the rosters these last few years that he's been involved with, they've been pretty good rosters if you know the budgetary considerations. Like if I had to guess, they're not anywhere close to the top. So I, I looked at this again, and even before this week, this is just a good roster, mate. This is well put together. Now look, the crowd jewel is obviously Niski, but once you get Niski, like, what's to hate about this team? Like, think about it. The Isma guy was from this Movistar Riders team, people hyped from the RLs, and now he's paired with Niski. I mean, even before this, we would have all predicted, yeah, he'll have a bump in his play he has the Niski puff doesn't he irrelevant by the way is Loki the most slept on player in the LEC like I, I genuinely wonder Jensen am I the only one who watched him these last two years like on Misfits he was a really good weak sider then on SK he was a good weak sider and he would have the Jacks carry games and now he's doing it all again and even like this guy looks like he improves every year like the floor to this player's games actually very impressive I think like I'm amazed that he hasn't like, got to a top team yet he just sticks around on Misfits and SK like this guy looks dynamite mate and then you go look at the rest of the team they, they have somehow resurrected, like, executing form from last year. He's back. I don't know about Doss. I've always been a bit out on him. But the rest of the, the team generally just looks good. Like, I, look, they're obviously number one in the standings right now. I'm not going to take them to be number one. Maybe they can be better than I thought if some of the teams drop off. But I tell you what, so far, everything looks dynamite. What a well-put-together roster. Thoughts on SK? 
Um, as to where to end up at the end of the season, I'm a little bit more cynical when it comes to this team. And uh, don't get me wrong, I'm a huge Niski fan, right? Anybody who plays that Dolan B style, anybody, any mid laner that subscribes to right. the map control style play, the I play to impact the map kind of play, um, I'm a fan of them immediately. So um, it's just that the way that SK just has been in the past, it's just hard for me to really believe in them. And as compared to what the potential of all the other teams are, right? If we were to say that this is this is where SK is, how much further can, can can they go, right? Is this a team that, from what I've seen so far, this is not a team that is exactly where, oh, this is um the second coming of G2 from 2019, right? This is not going to be like that Rogue team and when, when Rogue won it that year as well, where it's very dominant games across the board. Yes, they played well, they won some key fights, and they were able to punish mistakes their opponents were making. But it's not to say that this team, um from, from my perspective, is all around going to be um, reinventing the way that people play play the game or this is someone this is a team that has got a revolutionary approach towards the game right i think it's a team that's uh, well gm they put well together and they'll finish where sk uh, is a little bit cynical but i think they end up finishing where sk usually ends up finishing right Ooh, somewhere okay. between fifth and six okay right? So it's it's a bit of momentum for them at the start, and that's also because there's teams like KCorp and Vitality who are absolutely shutting the bait in the first week. But um, we have to see as the as the season progresses, right? Okay. Because I will say, by the way, one thing I would quickly say on this team is, like I say, the real thing that brings together the offseason is the Niski signing. Like I will say, here's the problem, right? If you imagine, like think some of the other people there, imagine if they'd have just got Abadagi. By the way, he's German. If they'd have put just Abadagi in this team, they'd be an okay team, but they wouldn't have any of this like potential that we're thinking of right i will just say the one downside is this this is where you, you have to look from deep people's perspective not just only the bigger picture the one downside i have to this team is mate what does Niski done wrong? Have I missed something? Is this guy, like, what's mad is behind the scenes, guys, the stories are even better than you know that he's, like, the best guy ever and he really is a super cool guy and a mega positive aspect to add into a team environment and VOD reviews and a really great, like, sort of player who play for the team but can also play for himself. Like, I don't get it, mate. Like, how did he end up on SK Gaming? I actually don't get, for real, after that Fnatic period. Like, I get, by the way, why Fnatic gambled to sign Humanoid at the time everyone thought it was the second coming fucking Caps or Perks or something. Everyone that you've got to have this player. So I get why Fnatic would gamble on Humanoid over Niski, but how is Niski, like, not on Mad Lions? How is he not in a top, top team? Like, this guy, you might not think from Worlds itself that he's like, the best player, but domestically, he's always really good these last few years. Like, if you want to say he's an average mid laner, you have to go back, like, four or five years at this point in time, guys. Like, that was a long time ago that he was more of, like, a shaky player. The last few years, I think he's gotten better and better every year. He just looks more and more solidified. He even actually, funnily enough, like Dynebee, Plays better individually just in lane the last few years. He's not even just the move mid laner with the fucking jungle. He's even followed that part of the path. So I, I'll just say, even though like it's cool for SK, I'm just a bit bummed out also for Niski. It's one of the weird things if you think of the last few years. There was that whole thing where El Yoya was supposed to be in G2 a few years ago. If I'm Niski, he should be on a top three team. I've found one of the big orgs. If you don't have caps and then if someone like Humanoid, if they're in form, this is the next player you go for. Tim and Larson, they're the next two. They're the obvious signings you go for. So I just feel a bit bummed bombed up for Niski. I hope he thought, like, I mean, I could trust he can of all players, keep saying his morale up, etc. because I think there's a world he really could have made in one of the best teams. He could have, like, a world's 
top three lock type team built around him, but instead he ended up on this sort of weird budget roster where it's gonna a lot of it's gonna probably be on him. By the way, what do you actually what's your evaluation of Exekit? Because I, I feel like the problem is because people don't have huge expectations for SK, he obviously got super hyped in winter split last year when they were popping off. And then I feel like after that, people just sort of like just forget about him or they didn't talk about him. What do you think of this player, Exekick? I don't really have too strong of an opinion. I don't really rate Exeking and Boss particularly highly. I don't. I haven't really scrutinized their play, so it really means that in my watching of the bots, they haven't really stood out or they haven't made any very glaring mistakes so far. Fair enough. So uh, I don't really have a very solid opinion on uh, the okay. for us here. Well, I tell you what, we'll segue then because a team where the whole narrative is about their bot lane or rather the conspicuous element of their bot lane, is obviously BDS, because the only change BDS made was they kicked out Crowley, who obviously was kind of their MVP candidate, and then they brought in Ice, this Korean player. So what do you think of this? Like, here's the problem. I have to add this in again, gents. Remember, like I said at the beginning, this is a team where do not be tricked by the fact they had 2-1. and one. Look at the strength of schedule that they had, guys. Like, what, what did you expect them to be? 0-3? and three? Like, surely they're supposed to win some games, guys. Like, they did keep four players that were in the finals almost winning. LEC. What do you think of BDS? Um, I think the nature of BDS and the nature of just having Adam exists on this team, it forces them to play the style of League of Legends that I like, right? Which is this dueling <laughs> okay. control stuff, right? It's simply because the Adam exists on this team, whether it's by by design, whether it's something that they just ended up with, or they just bend it, they just bend either their way into this is actually the way the LPL teams play the game. So that's that's the interesting thing about BDS. So I always kind of have a very um big interest in in this team to a certain degree. Uh, with regards to the whole um AD carry angle, I I mean I, I was I was working with the with, with Gambi Sports, right, the Vietnamese team. So I wasn't on site in Korea, so I couldn't say anything as to what I what I observed myself. But I hear things about um they were they were like cancelling scrims towards the end because their players were, were all meant to boom. Oh, and, right. and the kind of stuff, right? So I do not know if that would have contributed to the, the reason to part with Crowley, um, or do not know exactly. I can tell you a little bit about that. that. I have to be careful because it's one of those ones where it's, I always say to people, usually our league things when sort of the statute of limitations has passed, it's not, you can't affect anything. So I'll be careful on this one because obviously it's an active roster. All I'll say is this, basically. I'll just say the vibe was, if you look at the meta switch for ADC, they saw it more as like he's the hyper carry player, like a fucking, uh, whatever, you think like a jinx type player or something, right? Their, I think their perception was when he went to the Zeris of the world, that's not really his style as much. He's not going to be as good on them and then also if you just know Crowdy the upside when he was at his best and it was his champions is obviously very vocal and call around himself but I think they also got the perspective that like you kind of it's kind of like the upset narrative of like you just have to play his way it's his way or the highway you know so I think their perception was if they thought I think they just genuinely thought Crowdy wasn't going to be that good this at the moment I, by the way I can't lie it's a virus fucking meta who knows how he would be and then their perception was you know if we want to work with other elements of the game like look for obvious reasons Jensen their coaching staff is French they believe in people like Adam and Nook more than me believe it or not Jensen they have sort of an obvious reason too but you can imagine essentially if you're a fan like I am from the West an outsider, you're just thinking it was a crowny team. They don't see it that way, guys. Like that's where that's where we have a fundamental philosophical parting, as far as I can tell. So as far as I can tell, it's mainly in-game stuff, mate. It's mainly just thinking that he couldn't adapt or he was too limited in terms of the type of champion he was supposed to pick or whatever, you know. Like I will say, I have no idea then how the ice guy fixes that, but I don't know that part. That's just they're, they're just the broad strokes, I can tell you. Why I I don't think Ice is gonna fix that, right? I think that this team is going to be one of the, those cons constants, right? They're probably gonna be like the the Aston Villa of the EPL. They're there. They're like 
top half of the table. Are they going to be making the Champions League? Maybe they make it like once every five years or something like that. Like they, they just sneak in there just because one of the other EPL teams wins it and they get the extra bonus fourth slot, something along those lines. But I, I don't know if this team has got big aspirations to go forward. And the way that this roster is constructed, they are probably happy with where they were and how they finished last season. So it was, uh, okay, let's, uh, let's fix some problems and let's try to run it back and uh, perform to par, right? Which is... Um, finishing top four, top five, and then trying to sneak into Worlds. The other angle I have as well on this team, and this is why I actually had them quite low. Like, I was like look, I'm, I, I, we'll see how I've come on this one, but I actually had them in my, um, I had them eighth, I think. Yes, I think I had them eighth. I think I had them like just making it out of the first phase. And the reason I have them so low is... I, I don't get drawn into the whole Adam thing. It's not that, like, because Adam's a meme or whatever. Like, look, he, he will do the same things he has always done, which is those matchups do work because no one plays them. Unless you're playing against Adam, no one is practicing Darius against everything in every possible. And remember, the other thing about players like him that everyone forgets is this is where you actually do do these players a disservice, Jensen, if you call them one tricks. Because people think it's like as a pro, when they hear one trick, they think it's like, oh, it's just his favorite champion. It's like, no, no, the joke is you're, you're actually undervaluing what a real one trick is like. A one trick is somebody who like only plays that champion. So they know the intricacies to a level that's absurd. And like the example I'll always give is power of evil. The joke of power of evil is cause he really only wanted to play like three champions. He just did stuff like when they weren't as meta in this matchup, he would just it, like, figure out a different item build than everyone else that, that somehow like solves the problem of that part of the laning phase or to get to this point. Essentially, that's the sort of thing that Adam's going to do because he's going to always pick into these champions. It, it means there's always going to be some element you can't account for. Like, even if you have watched the VOD, maybe you don't know exactly what, like, I mean, there's new items now as well, so I'm sure you've got all sorts of fucking crazy builds going on there. My problem is I've always felt like that was the distraction. That was the thing people get obsessed with. Obviously, literally, the jungle is just path junk top all the time. But if anything, as we've always pointed out with this team, when they had Crowny, that doesn't matter. If anything, that just basically means Crowny just gets to lane. It's just a 2v2 bot lane, which is the dream of every ADC. So my obvious issue is it's not that Adam's the issue. He's going to play the same. It's that they don't have the Crowny factor now. And so there's two things. One, if they had him, if you look at how like dodgy the beginning of the split is, they could be right in the mix already, I think, if they had Crowny. And then two, I just wonder what is the dynamic without that? Like, does the ice guy actually get played to? Is the idea to play to Nook more? Like, I can tell you also. Because by the way, shout out to the coaching staff of um, BDS. They are one one of the ones I've been able to reach to out to privately and ask questions about these, which is awesome when you can actually ask what they're doing. They told me, by the way, that actually some of the Nook like champion pool like sort of expansion over last year was because they thought it felt like he was unlocked. Like, you know, they're playing better, the team structure makes that's why they let him do things like bring out a Jace or some crazy sort of more like Asian pick you'd think of, you know. And he had the odd game that he looked good on them. So I will just say, like I said before, I think they believe in the French players a lot more than maybe like people who aren't French. So obviously they're going all in on that approach. My essentially, I just disagree. Like, Unfortunately, the main player of the French players I actually was hyped about was Shio. And unfortunately, he's the one who, for me, who really did have the peak in spring. And then he kind of came back to normal. And sadly, if that player, by the way, there's the condition I'll give them. If that player could somehow rediscover, if he can get like, if he was like the all LEC third best jungler, then maybe this team can do something. Then maybe we can cook a little bit. Because I did think that player was like the transformative element in the team for me. And he hasn't been as good since for me. Just an okay player now. I, I mean, I, I rate Show pretty high. I think I think that even though he didn't perform that well at Worlds and towards the end of the, the, the summer split, uh, I feel that this is a guy where he he knows he knows what he's doing in the jungle. 
right? If you give him a, uh, if you give him and you show him that the, the correct setup, he can execute on it. And I would be confident, right? So if we go back to the, the topic of like who inspires confidence and who do who inspires fear, I think show more towards inspires confidence rather than fear when I watch him play in general. Okay. So that's generally a good sign, right? Yeah. Where oh maybe this is just my bias as a coach, right? And maybe this is why I probably rate BVS a, a little bit more highly than other people is because this is it just goes back to my training as an engineer where, where we talk about uh, in design how, about how less is more and actually how restrictions breed creativity, right? Okay. Like having Adam on your team actually forces BVS to play in such a unique way and forces them to learn all these other concepts that actually accelerates accelerates them past their peers, right? Because they, they right. have a player who has a very idiosyncratic way of playing and then now they're forced to play around all these champions as well right it's, it's the whole Whipple logic right like when Whipple was saying that yeah I'm picking Rengar in this scenario objectively speaking it's a bad pick but when was the last time someone practiced against Rengar right, right? Yes. you're able to do these style of things and then you know that okay we have a Rengar how do we make a suboptimal champion work and then you're forced to then be creative you're forced to break things down to a more molecular level and then reconstruct your ideas of the game around it. So by having these players on your team, they, they might not be the best player in the world, they might not be even the best player in the LEC or top three in the LEC, but because of those restrictions that they force upon your team, it then forces the coaching staff, then, like I said, credit to them, right? They're able to make the right ad adaptations. And I think as a result of that, it doesn't really matter if it's Crowny or if it's Eyes or whoever it is, right? Because as long as Adam is there and the coaching staff says that this is a team that, I wouldn't say is no longer a bandit, right? But it constructs their identity and constructs their vision of the game around how Adam likes to play, then it doesn't really matter who is in the AD carry position. Sure. Right, what about, um, obviously one of the big names we didn't do yet was Heretics, right? This is the one where I also feel like this is another one that has like narrative burden or baggage, which is, first of all, I'll just tell you in case you're not aware, Jensen, Ever since he went to Cloud9, look, when he was on G2, I'm sure Fnatic fans hated Perks, but that was more because he's the cocky star of the rival team who's stolen caps, he's winning all the championships. You had a reason to hate him then. Ever since he went to Cloud9, people have had such a hate border for Perks, it's crazy. Like, they genuinely do, like, prey on this guy's downfall. They want him to fail and be bad so they can laugh and go, ha-ha, you know, he's arrogant, overpaid, get him out the league, basically. Although I did say in the off-season, that's real info I pointed out, he actually has a pretty low salary now if people don't know. He didn't he doesn't have the big vitality salary of Bastier? And as I said, I think it's a pretty positive sign. It almost implies to me he just wants to win again and and play with former teammates like Jankos and Wonder and get the band back together. So obviously, the because the top side of the map is season eight G two, and then collectively when they had the roles, what were perks? They were in the others G two that won everything. Obviously, the expectations are enormous. You either hate it and you want to go. It's a washed up retirement club. Lol, they're all going to feed, or you want to believe. Hey, let's do a run back. This, this is the last dance. You know, you can, it's it, it's possible. And then the joke even is, uh, if people have missed this one, I think you can even argue Flacken and Kaiser, it's not even a sort of terrible sort of Wadid fucking Yarnan analogue. It's even like you've cynically built this like season eight G2. So to me, I feel like all of that gets it before people ever even look at the games. Who is this Heretics team to you? The team you actually saw on the server, if we don't get weighed down by names, who did you think they were? Were they good? Okay, I, I I will be a little bit concerned, right? But I'm going to have a little bit of fun with the narrative Okay. Here. So you, you know how in like some animes, like those that are shonen animes, where there's like multiple seasons of them, and then the first season, they introduce like this big major villain that's like, he's just destroying everybody with a single touch, and then the protagonist goes up to him, and then they eventually defeat him. And then they bring this same antagonist back in season seven, right? 
And then this is, and then there's two possible outcomes with regards to this, right? It's either that this guy has reinvented himself and then he's reestablished himself as a big bad, or he just shows up as a mark as to where the power scaling in this show is right now. Right? Oh, as a reference point to show that they've like advanced way yes. beyond that, right? I see. Okay. So narratively, just watching those first two games, it felt like Team Paradigms was kind of the latter, right? They showed up, they kind of struggled, they lost the Mad Lions in the first game, and it felt like they had to bring back all the best hits. Camping in the jungle, they're showing out over there, they're showing that like final form, the way that these were all the tactics that they used to beat SKC yes. back in 2019, and it brings you back to flashbacks and the nostalgia with all these creative set pieces in the jungle and all that kind of stuff. And you know that if the re returning villain shows all of that in the first scene, he toasts, right? He's toast by episode three. So narratively, um, that is where I had, that does the, the impact that Team Heretics had on me when I watched those first two okay. games. But thankfully, real life doesn't work like anime, right? Real life, thankfully, does not work like anime. Um, and I, I would have to say that I think P Peter probably, he's always very good at playing defense, but he probably explained it quite well. They had a shocker of a loss against Mad Lions. I have to say that that's um, very largely due to draft and a very intelligent level three invade from it um, that I believe was caught by Elioria. And as a result of that, they didn't really have much much of a foot back into the game after minute four, right? And then uh, the second game was against, uh, was against Giants or something? Yes, Giant X, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was against Giants, right? And those guys, I think, are going to be the whipping boys of the league uh, this entire year. And they were able to, to win that, but it really looked very indecisive. They were just all over the place. They weren't really sure as to where they were going to be fighting. And they were setting up for all the best hits and things like that, but it just felt off, right? And then it's only when they went into the final game where they were able to beat, um, who was it in the, in the third game? Ah, oh, fucking hell, who was it? Uh... Let me think. Uh, oh, no, Giant X was the last oh, game. The second the game was Rogue. Was game. Rogue was the Rogue. second game. Yes. yes, that was it. Yeah, it's, it's only when they play against Giants X, then this is like, yeah, this is the this is the 2018, 2019 G2 that we knew. So they right? powered up finally by the third episode in this analogy, right? <laughs> Yeah, so so they they defied expectations and then they, they just powered up once okay. again. So like, oh crap, we've got to respect them again, right? Right. So that's kind of how, how I see them. I think this is definitely a good team, right? And I think that uh, any team that plays Bart is a team that I like, right? Same thing oh, um, sure. with midlaners that play the map. Bart, I think that uh, Magical Journey is arguably one of the top it's five best in the game. Yeah. Yes, and especially with the way that they've changed the map, uh, it's already a good spell, but because the map has changed, people are going to get caught off guard. Oh, against, for sure. Right, because people just don't expect the new angles they can come in from yes. and all those style of things, right? But to, to just kind of bring things back to the whole coaching angle, right? You you have to look at Peter Dunn's history in terms of how he has created rosters and all that kind of things, and you have to wonder if this Team Heretics thing is a Peter Dunn project, right? The Peter Dunn formula is the first team, is, is in the first year, you, you get a bunch of rookies, and then you try to build around those rookies, find out what the limitations are around those teams and then you bring in the right pieces accordingly right it just so happens that these two pieces that being brought in the perks and wonder going into the second year so was this something that they they went together and said that this is exactly what our team needs to fix our current problems and then this is the kind of players that we have or is this something where perks and wonder want to play a game again and they are willing to take a big pay cut and you definitely do not say no to that, right? You are never going to say oh, no sure. to that, right? 
And then that comes back into this. Are they going to play in his vision of the game? Is Peter Lund going to take a facilitative role in terms of enabling their vision of the game? Is their vision of the game, if they're trying to relieve 2019 G2, even the correct version of the game that's supposed to be played? Or is that correct version that 2019 G2 wasn't only enabled because they had Mickey X, right? Which is a mi missing piece. And Mickey X, over the last two, three years, he's proven to be consistently yeah, a poor sure. uh, tick in whatever team that he has participated in, right? Be it XL, he joins it instantly in improved, um, whichever team he's on, it instantly plays a lot better. So this is the whole, is this Jurgen Klopp going to Liverpool or is this David Moyes going to Manchester United kind Ooh, of scenario? Okay. Right? Yeah, there, if people don't know, that's actually a banger analogy because obviously when Jurgen Klopp went to Liverpool, obviously his eye did carry over in scouting and all the shitty dodge works. But the analogy Jensen's given is David Moyes looked awesome when he was with Everton before he was at Man United, but famously, almost like getting the stars and the pressure of Man United is what kind of cr crushed his career. And he kind of showed, there's a term I've often tried to explain to Monty, cause it's, a, it's very much an English football term. There's a term like small club manager. Like you're, you're basically all, it's why I actually try to do this in league if people don't know, is if you, there are certain people where they'd almost be better with like the current Mad Lions lineup. Like rookies will just do whatever they say and then they can like do all these mastermind plans. Whereas the point here is, if you if you are Peter Dunn, the perception is your job now is to be like Phil Jackson. Mate. You're just supposed to manage huge egos and kind of they're the stars. They win you the game because I'll tell you the reason why I do think if you're Peter Dunn, you can't say no to this roster. You're right. I don't care what any fan says. Right. First of all, you'd just be a lunatic if those players ever go elsewhere. And in the case of Jankos, especially, it's plausible. If he goes elsewhere and wins a championship and you said no, you will be kicking yourself metaphorically for the rest of your career. And then secondly, the perks one. Here's what's funny. I know to a fan, they're like, oh, I'd turn that down easily. He was kind of a bit washed on vitality. Yeah, but here's the problem. I'll give you a quick analogy. If people know in MMA, back in the day, this is quite a while ago now, the best lightweight fighter used to be this amazing fighter from Hawaii called BJ Penn, right? And he was a really amazing all-around fighter. But the famous thing about him, Jensen, was he was one of those people that was sort of had like waning motivation. Like he had to really like be hyped for the fight or it had to be like a title fight. There had to be something to like, extra to really fire him up so that then he'd do in his training camp like proper training and because he was so talented I mean his nickname literally was the prodigy he was like amazing from the time he was like 19 years old because he was so talented essentially unless it was the absolute best fight it wouldn't make him train the hardest he'd always think like you know I can train sort of 70% and I'll still win but there was a famous fight right where he did train the full amount and there was all these videos right where he was like doing crazy athletic feats like he could he could be standing in the pool and he could just jump out of the water onto the side of the thing if people don't know that takes insane like explosive sort of like muscles like if that means he's actually done so there's a famous concept though jensen which was that if you ever wanted for the future fights when he figured this out fans of his even though it wasn't what he was saying they would always hype themselves for his later fights by going i've heard he's really motivated because then you, your brain would go oh wait that means oh shit like and then your brain would think oh it's gonna be that guy who's that was gonna be the peak bg pen he's gonna destroy him and so the meme became like oh, he's really motivated for this fight. And then obviously later in his career, you know, he went to shit and he lost and he obviously wasn't. He didn't. And the joke is he probably never did train that hard again in his career. The joke is, if if Perks comes to you, I don't care what his form was. If he goes, yeah, I'll play for way less money. I'm really motivated. Again, how are you going to say no? If you're a coach, that's like... 
Look, it could be the devil in your ear, but man, that's going to be like honey in your ear, mate. That's going to be so, that's what you dream of someone saying if you're a court secretary. They're like, what? Wait a minute, my like all-time great player is going to take way less money, so he's already almost like gold efficiency priced in at this point in time. And then secondly, if he really is super motivated, in the last few years we're sort of like semi falling in. I'm going to look like a genius. I'm going to get like the prime rollback perks, and then they're all going to say it was me. I did it. Like by the way, if you're Peter, you have to. You'd be a fool to say no to you basically have to gamble it and even if it doesn't work you go right at least i know it didn't work now it's the what if would haunt you forever guys you have to understand there's certain players like the difference is it it's not as certain you had to sign trimby if perks comes guys you can't say no the name the name alone's too powerful so i i actually agree i think the key thing here again to bring it all the way back to the episode is let's look at who these coaches are i trust that peter dunn can figure out how to get these guys in the ship by the way i'll tell you the massive obvious insane green flag from week one is the one player nobody was in on on this team jensen i can tell you right now was kaiser everyone was hating on him and you know what Fucking hell, is Peter Dunn the Kaiser Whisperer? That bad game, like, just restored, like, faith in fucking humanity or something. Like, that was insane. That one game made you actually think, wait, is there actually, like, a good player in there the whole time and they sort of couldn't get to him? And if so, mate, if there's going to be more games like that, suddenly I'm even in on the Kaiser angle. Like, I agree with you, by the way. Any team that can actually play bad, I get that it's supposedly really hard to play around, but, man, it's so OP. Like, the, like the joke of that champion is... Think about it. The ult basically like nullifies like side advantages and stuff. You can just create new gank angles. Like it actually is amazing. Like I mean, everyone, obviously everyone saw Carrier on it back in the day. Afro Moo, people like that. Mickey X, obviously. If you can play this champion as well, also it's going to be really fun in draft. That's a, you have to really consider now. Like you. It, by the way, until Herex gets good, you might have to ban fucking Bard against this team if they will play like that. So yeah, I actually think I, this is one of the teams where look they're not the best team in the league, but I'm not too worried by the first games as you. Say, it's actually the order of them that sort of gives you the faith because they did sort of like it's, it's like you say they powered up they started looking a bit washed then it was a bit like well that was a bit close and then at the end it was like ah oh, it's pretty good actually yeah not bad but this is the segue you are right Strength of schedule has to again be considered, guys. They did play Rogue and fucking GX and Matt. They had a pretty bad fucking strength of schedule, guys. On paper, they should probably be 3 0. Eh? And let's just talk about GX, Giant X. Because, Nate. Even though I didn't have them at the bottom, spoil. Oh no, I had mine ninth. I had them ninth, mate. Spoiler. And Zabatine had them tenth. I don't think anyone believes in this team. What is your thoughts on Jai X? Like you, you also think they're going to be whipping boys in the league? It's going to be a bad state of affairs. Yeah, it, it looks really bad for them. This uh, this mid laner. I I don't even recall his name. This whole this whole. <laughs> It's not unremarkable he has been, right? It's like he's Abadagi was available. This is one of those where Abadagi was available, Trippy was available. You should assign either of these two players, right? I, I don't even think Abadagi will save this team. It just looks very uninspired, like the way the way that they've been, been playing in general. And I think that for Giant X, this is them basically inheriting XL and then them uh continuing on with that and to, to go back to the old coaching angle right the current coach he done i think that this is exactly the, the, the type of scenario where this is this is the nightmare right where um he came on after they made a few changes at the start of the, the at the end of the winter split last year and then he came in as a firefighter right when you come in as a firefighter as a coach people immediately give you a lot more uh time they give you a lot sure. more patience right because they understand that this was not the roster that he built and all that kind of jazz he now finishes a full split with them, uh, a full year with them. I don't really know how to evaluate that. I don't know how much impact that he had on the team as a whole. 
But um, it was good enough where they said, that, okay, let's continue on with this. They keep certain core elements of the roster. They now downgrade the roster, right? Because they had Abadar game when they were making the whole upswing. So they lost Abadar game, and then the, the support's now a, a new guy as well, right? Um, and then they brought in Cass as well as strategic coach. And then he's now here with mostly pieces that he didn't really have. I would imagine he didn't really have much say on. He has to now dictate the team culture. <coughs> and coaching a team from the very beginning, from the very get-go of the season, where you're tasked with what's the overall expectations of the team, what's the team culture going to be like, as compared to when you're the firefighter, and anything is anything above zero is better, right? Because you're already at, at point zero. Yes. Right. You're, you're just tro- you're just throwing buckets of water under the fires, and whenever you put out a fire, people are going to thank you, right? But in this case, you, you're you're now the chef in the kitchen, and you're supposed to be cooking. If you make a mistake, something's going to catch on fire, and the whole lens is all going to, to pivot right. onto you. And in this case, you weren't you weren't given um you weren't given proper cooking equipment, right? You you're given those stuff like cranky as gas stoves that you that might just explode at any time, and it's it's just not not a good look. I like. It's one of those positions where this is a nightmare position to be in as a coach. And it's one of those things that could be a career end as well. So, um, I yeah, Giant X, don't envy the coach. Probably going to be the whipping boys of the league. The saddest thing about this team to me is I still think Odo Amner and Patrick deserve so much better. Those two players could be on a top tier. Odo Amner especially. It's a, the thing about him I've always loved is he is just a very consistent player, guys. Like he, he so something about his ability to like reset split to split back to like a, a good level. It's just like the it's another floor raiser for me. The problem is though, you have to have some stars to go with him. That, that's what his style it enables. Like, the analogy here would be, this is like if you had impact on a team where you have no stars. It's like, well, his job is to shore up the stars. So, yeah, that's the fourth angle for me. All right, I don't have too much to say. I think it's going to be bad as well. I think it's just a bad off-season. They've actually, they actually entered the off-season. That's what I would say about this team. Also, by the way, I'll just throw this out there. Here's how you know how badly they entered the off-season. Well, obviously, they've partnered with Giants, right? So technically, they should be getting all the Spanish hype. Everyone's forgotten they're even involved in this shit, dude. Like, no one's even given them the fucking shine like Mad Lions and KC. You know, it was supposed, they're not even involved because everyone thinks they're so irrelevant, I think, right now. And then also, you look at the week. Mate, look who they played. Like, they're just, they're just a bad team, guys. They're bad. Right, there's one team left, and it's Rogue. And here's what's ridiculous, Jensen. I want to do a lot of the same things I just said there. Like, some of these players are too good for this team. Larson, obviously, is the main one. Like, it's not a very well-constructed team. They've hit the off-season. But being rogue, they've done, like, the most fucking counterintuitive thing ever. So, look, shit in the first two games. And then they just straight up beat G2. So, what? So, give me your thoughts on this team, finally. Rogue, what do you think? I mean, rogue, they still have Larson. Larson is good at doing one thing, right? He's good at putting up lots of pressure in the mid lane, calling jungle and support to that lane, and then converting the lead that he has. And uh, G2 horribly misplayed into that, and that, that's how that's how Rogue were able to run away with the game, right? But in, in all of those games, and all of the games that Rogue are playing, this is the Rogue that we all know. And whenever, and I hate Rogue's play style so much that it brings a smile to my face whenever they do badly, right? Because it means that people are not giving them free wins anymore. People have to remember, to, to Jensen, they're obviously the antithesis of the map control team, right? They're the one who wants yeah. to play from just the scaling and the lane strength, right? Yeah, because this is a team that just plays, plays for strong laning. They just sit down there and they try to, to get to the late game and they just wait for the opponents to make mistakes, right? And as, as long as Rogue's doing well in the LEC, it's a sign to me that the LEC right. will never be able to challenge the LPL LC, or, right. or LCK, right? 
So I'm I'm happy to see them. I, I wouldn't say I'm happy to see them struggle, but I think it's a good sign for the LEC that Roke is one of those those kids they can't keep getting away with it yes. kind of moment, right? And they they finally are getting punished. Their crimes are catching up to them. Yes, Larson is going to win games for them still because he is still probably uh, pound for pound best leaning mid laner in, in the LEC. So they will be able that will convert some games for them. But I do not have much hope for them um, this season. All I'll say is, I've pointed this out before, but actually some of the reporting in the offseason was wrong. They initially reported Larson had signed with Koi, which is obviously what Rogue was called. And then later, he obviously did end up signing with Rogue, but that was actually after the whole offseason shenanigans. And basically, during the whole offseason, actually, if people don't know, Larson was the main piece I've heard of a bunch of the teams. Like a lot of other top players wanted to get to a team with Larson because their perception was he's like a really good player on a, on a low level team. And if he's available, then like I can sort of follow in his draft as it were like I can I can drift behind him and join a good team and so there's a world where you could have had a team that would have been like Larson and Upset or like fuck, there's a whole bunch of top top players could have all been together. could have been like Hillisag on a team with these players so the sad thing for me is it's another player where it's like how did you end up on this team like this team for you Larson this team's uninspired me like this team's not going to win anything like the best case scenario if you play like MVP level League of Legends it's not too dissimilar to last year's Koi you're going to be like the sixth best team or something like you're never going to be in the mix like like there's no universe I'm sorry I don't if, if this team could somehow qualify for Worlds I'll actually like even though in theory it's just an opinion, I'll actually like publicly apologize to the rogue management. Like, I don't think there's a universe this five my life can make worlds, mate. Like, I, I mean, I thought it was said best by Zabatine. All they have essentially is some like mechanics, like some of the players have hands. So you can maybe win a few games where you just get ahead in lane and that somehow like wins you a game. But the problem is, I will say, that's the philosophy of like season four League of Legends, guys. And we are in like the era of you have to fight around objectives. You have to take team fight. You have to sometimes make correct decisions. So that isn't enough. So the sad thing is, I, 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 here's the funny thing. It's not like I ever liked the Rogue playing style. I'm just a big fan of Larson, so I like the fact he had a chance to win. If they're going to play the Rogue playing style and not even have a chance to win, then yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of their team. I actually hope Larson can leave. The joke is now I sort of want them to die as a team so that Larson looks decent then he can just go elsewhere, if indeed that's possible. Right, that is obviously it for the Best Damn League show. We'll see you on the next one.